0: Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's ep, we look at how climate disasters and the cost of living crisis are impacting women most, David Pocock's new bill that would impose a duty of care on the government to protect children over climate harm, the countries that still have all-male cabinets, and the Matilda's victory over Canada and the more than 2.3 million Australians who tuned in. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 4th of August, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley I'm joining you from Gadigal land and as usual, I'm joined
1: by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Um, It's nice to be here. I am joining from Ngunnawal country in beautiful Canberra today in my lovely hometown. Um, So yes. A little bit different from you, hey? A little bit different, away from my kids for three nights. What a treat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is pretty good. I can't. I don't know if I've had. I mean, I can probably maybe, maybe once or twice I've been able to do that, but uh, more to come, I'm sure. Uh, so, Tyler, let's start with wins. What is your win this week?
1: Yeah, well, we've had a big week of news this week, and I think that there have been a lot of heavier stories, which we'll get to in a moment. But obviously, I think that the you know the common theme of Australians feeling united and super excited at the moment around the Matildas. Um, and the FIFA World Cup continues. Um, obviously, they had that amazing win against Canada 4 0, and the engagement on that game was just huge. So, 2.3 million viewers tuned in to watch the Matildas. And it's just, it's amazing because it's breaking it, all kind of records on women's sport. Um, engagement but it's also you know really breaking um, barriers around that that common um, idea that women's sport isn't good enough and that people aren't interested and like I think it's it's just been such an exciting thing to watch and we released a new podcast this week and I interviewed um, former Matilda Sarah Walsh about the evolution of the game and where she sees you know the Matildas and, and women's football more broadly kind of sitting post the hype of the World Cup. And and that was also really exciting because I think the, I, I, I can't imagine that this is just a moment in time. This is really just the start of something so huge. And um, yeah, I, I it's just been, it's been great to watch. And I know that everyone in Australia feels the same way and certainly 2.3 million people feel the same way. Um, but one thing I also wanted to point out was the words of, uh, global football icon Marta, a uh, 37-year-old player from Brazil. Um, she's the all-time leading goal scorer in World Cups, men's or women's. And she gave this press conference this week and it was just so powerful. She told reporters about how far the game has come for women over the 20 years that she's been playing. And I, her words were just so stirring, particularly, you know, she was talking about the impact for, for her daughter and, and little girls. Um, and she said, do you know what's cool? When I started playing, I didn't have an idol, a female female idol. You guys didn't show any female games. How was I supposed to see other players? How was I supposed to understand that I could arrive at a national team and become a, ref, a reference point? And, She she goes on to say, you know, today when we go out on the street, people stop. The parents stop and say, oh, my daughter loves you. She wants to be just like you. Today we have our own references um, and this wouldn't have happened if we had stopped in the first obstacles that we face. So it's a continuous persistency and it didn't just start with me, but with a lot of the women back then, and we are all very proud and ask for this generation to continue to do that, to inspire more girls and more boys. And... It was just beautiful words to hear at a time in history when we are all feeling just so proud and uplifted by women's sport. Ange, what's your win? That was a bit long from me. Yeah, you stole my thunder. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I could do the FIFA Women's World Cup
0: and I could also talk about Marta. But uh, so, uh, I mean, there's Donald Trump being indicted this week. (laughs) I guess that's something. I just, saw I just saw his comments talking about. Uh, he, uh, he he says that it's a very sad day for America, and he uh, he's back in DC. And I, I love this comment that I'm just going to share because it's just come up now. But he is seeing the filth and the decay on all the broken buildings and the walls and the graffiti, and that it's not the place that he left. It's a very sad thing. It's very sad to see. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't know. I
0: don't know. Can that come into the win section? But no, my win is definitely the FIFA Women's World Cup as well and all the glorious uh, hours of television and water cooler moments it's bringing us. It's entertaining and, you know, Ma- Monday night's game particularly where Australia defeated Canada. Like you said, it was just so it was so fun to watch. And yeah. I, I like that we're sort of removing, um, and there's a great piece about this on The Guardian today actually about this idea of removing gender from, from the sport. And that's increasingly happening and it's not just about seeing what women can do to inspire women and girls and and you know look at all these boundaries and things that are being broken and and all that kind of thing it's actually about creating great sporting moments and entertainment and inspiring girls and inspiring boys and I note that in my son's soccer team uh, for the summer series, they just came up with their name and they're naming it after one of the Matildas. Um, and you're seeing, you know, the boys holding up signs saying that they want to be like Sam Kerr. And, and it's just it, it's great. It's a game for everyone. It's not just about um, creating something for women and girls. It's about creating something for all of us. And they're just great stars and players. And I love uh, watching watching it. It's, can't wait for the next couple of weeks and for the next game.
1: I uh, Yeah, no, it was it was so nice. Like I'm in Canberra at the moment, and I had dinner with my brother and his his family earlier in the week. And my ten year old nephew, he's absolutely football mad. You know, he's playing at quite an elite level as a ten year old, um, and he takes it so seriously. He's very religious about the game. And um, my brother had booked tickets for them to go and see the semi final weeks months ago, and now that's coming around the corner. And there's the possibility that it might be the Matildas, and on. Tuesday was just like beside himself with excitement, and I was like, "That is just so nice to see because he's quite a cool little like tween as well, you know." And and just to see him so excited about going to the women's World Cup was just um, awesome to see. So, onto our first story today, we have been looking at various climate related issues this week, and and there have been there's been some key research pieces. Written up, um, there's been some legislation that's come into play, or or at least some proposed legislation, which we'll get to in a minute. But one thing is, one of our excellent journalists, Olivia Cleal, wrote this week was a piece of, that looked at how climate disasters and the cost of living crisis are impacting women most acutely in this country. And I think it was it was a bit of a extension of the report that we ran earlier in the year around the climate load, which did look at this issue as well. But obviously, the cost of living crisis in Australia has been escalating over recent months. All Australians are living through that crisis. But research does show more often than not, it's women who are carrying the burden to deal with it most. So 85% of purchases in Australia are driven by women. And the national pay gap obviously still exists. It's sitting at 13.3%. And then you know, there are so many other compounding factors that play into this. So women having to take time off to to, um, deal with care responsibilities and and also dealing with uh, housing insecurity um, and homelessness. Uh, Yeah, so look, Liv has written this piece. It it goes into the issues at play um, in more depth. It looks at some of the key research that's coming out to suggest that you know there is a a real a real obviously we know there's a crisis at hand but there's um this is kind of blowing out of the water for women and I just I think too often we're not looking at things issues like this through a a true gender lens and I think it's a critical kind of missed opportunity um for us to to be you know looking at the right solutions to paving a better way forward but you know also, it's just, uh, it's really devastating to, to see. And, you know, living up on the northern rivers, I think a lot of people don't realise that a lot of people are just in such dire straits still, like, you know, after the floods, like there are people still living in pod villages. And, and actually, they're the lucky ones a lot of the time, a lot of people are living in um, in much worse circumstances than that. And, you know, we, we know that, there are already so many factors at play that that um, persist for women in them having you know equal economic participation and and security so you know they're like it's just it's something that really needs addressing and I don't know really what the solution is but I, I think that we need to be kind of digging deeper and I know the government's talking about social housing but I just I don't I think that's kind of like tip of the iceberg kind of stuff at the moment there just needs to be a lot of um, a lot more kind of work and policy and funding that goes into this. And thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, my first thought is um, especially around the cost of living crisis. Obviously, climate change converges on that issue, and it makes it a lot more acute, and particularly acute for women. And You know, next week is Homelessness Week and the stats are really dire and we're all talking about housing and the housing crisis and the rental crisis as we should be. Just today, I saw that Homelessness Australia is reporting that demand for services have risen by 7.5% between December and March and women and children are making up the vast majority of that, making up 74% of people accessing those services And 1,600 Australians are being pushed into homelessness every month. So this is a surge and, you know, these services, there is no way they'll be able to keep up with that kind of demand. And it doesn't, I can't see where this ends uh, from this point, because we are hearing all the stories about uh, how, you know, when rent goes up, what that means, you know, rent goes up $80 a week, $100 a week or something, how that really impacts somebody's lives and how they can afford it and whether they can afford it. And if they have to move And in the case, they can't afford it. And also then we've got this, you know, rolling uh, potential disasters that would occur on top of this. And I'm not feeling good about the current, the upcoming summer at all, given the weather we've had the last few months. I mean, you know, we are seeing the conversation happen in, um, obviously, with the the parliament sitting this week and being back and back to to looking at the housing bill, but not really getting anywhere. I don't think that we have uh, got some particularly great ideas on this from the Albanese government. I think they need to work a lot harder on it. And we really need, it's not about trying to legislate for solutions later on. We need to support with this crisis right now. Because I mean, the other thing that came out this week that um, we've reported on that Jesse wrote about yesterday was the number of Australians who are now working two jobs and particularly so much of that is falling on women. It is getting close to 1 million Australians who are doing working two jobs or multiple jobs with women more likely to hold that second job than men. So that's like 7% of employed women have a second job compared to 5.7% of men. Those who are holding two jobs are working an average 40.5 hours a week five hours more than those who are working a single job. And so you can just imagine the the stress and the loss of time and the loss of ability to engage in other things like maybe physical activity or exercise or seeing family and friends or something that comes with this crisis and the fact that you need to work hours more each week on top of all the other unpaid stuff that you're doing as well. So we are at a uh, crisis. It's just, you know, we, we, we really need to be elevating this. This is only going, getting worse from here. So, I mean, on that and also related to this, we are, you know, we're, we're looking at climate change here because, as we know, climate change uh, is a threat multiplier, I guess, and is certainly a threat multiplier on the cost of living and the housing crisis as well. So, our next story surrounds the new bill that's been introduced that would impose a duty of care on the government to protect children from climate harm. Imagine a government having a duty of care to protect children. What a weird idea. I mean, just that's just imagine a government thinking about the... <laughs> future. Like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so bold, bold and innovative movements here coming from independent Senator David Pocock, who has introduced the bill to federal parliament calling for new conditions to be enshrined in environmental legislation that would mean the government has a duty of care to consider climate harm on young people when making decisions, particularly about approving fossil fuel projects. So the private members bill has been drafted in partnership with Anjali Sharma, who is a leading youth climate activist and the lead litigant in the historic court case, Sharma and others versus the Minister for Environment. Please go back and take a look at that because it just shows the power of people really coming together to to use the legal system to uh, take on these issues as well. So, Angeli's also written a piece for us that we've just published this morning. So you can go and check that out and see why she's done that. How also she came to meet with David Pocock. I think it's really interesting looking at the background there and like the efforts that she went to, kind of you know call around and just see if different parliamentarians might be interested in, in taking up this issue. And obviously, David Pocock was interested. I mean, it's it's one of those things like, you know I don't know that it. it it'll get passed, but it's still, it's there and it's raising the attention and it's raising the issue and getting us all talking about it and particularly talking about the fact that yes, absolutely governments and anyone who wants to be a politician, that should be your number one fundamental thing that you actually give a shit about the future and that you care about young people. Um, It's, you know, it's called considering your legacy. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it'd be nice. It would be nice for more.
0: Not everyone cares for their legacy, they're more for
1: the, uh, the moment, I guess, but that should be what it's about. Yeah, look, it would be nice to see a few more p- politicians care about their legacy. Yeah, re- like this is a cool proposal and it's nice to see, you know, those independent voices really rising up and and creating quite big impact in Parliament. Just, Senator Dave Pocock has done some really impressive things in the time that he's been elected uh, in the same way that we've seen a lot of the uh, Teal independents, rise up and, and um, advocate for, for different things. And I think it is nice to see this kind of new world order in Parliament, I guess, and certainly teaming up with young activists like Anjali, you know, it sends a powerful message. And in the piece that she wrote today, it, she, she notes that this is just another example. This bill, this duty of care bill, is just another example of young people stepping up to the mark. And I think too often young people are under, underestimated for their ability to do that and just what kind of influence and power and sway they actually hold in this country and also, you know, what they're deserving of because they are inheriting this mess up and Mm. there is absolutely a duty of care on the leaders that have kind of gotten us to this point, the generations before that have gotten us to this point that now, you know, need to, to do what they can to make sure that, you know, things aren't as dire as they could well end up. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think these kind, of, these kind of steps are really meaningful and positive. Clearly, there is so much work still to be done in the climate space. But, but I think, yeah, we have good diversity in Parliament at the moment and we have really good advocates in the climate space, um, which is encouraging to see. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to look at gender balance cabinets, Tyler. Yeah. So gender balance cabinets. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of progress. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> this was actually a tiny step backwards. But <laughs> Well,
1: yeah. We're yeah, getting to it. Yeah. Not, not great. Um, <laughs> but we did take a look at the countries this week that still have all male cabinets. And there are quite a few, to be honest. This follows news earlier this week that Hungary's Minister of Justice, uh, Judith Varga, stepped down from her role and it tipped the country to become the only nation in the European Union without a female minister. Her replacement is uh, Bensé Tucson, and I'm sorry if I'm, again, pronouncing that wrong. We know I've got an issue with that. Um, but it meant that Hungary's 14 ministerial positions are now held by men. Awesome times. Great times. But according to analysis conducted by Euronews, just over a third of ministerial positions across the 27 EU governments are now held by women. There's currently 75 countries that have 20% or less female ministers and only six have at least 50% women in the national legislature. And according to the Global Gender Gap Report, Parliament parliaments of Azerbaijan, uh, Saudi Arabia and Lebanon are made up of all male cabinets to this day. Um, and an, an, another analysis by the Council on Foreign Relations showed that Afghanistan and Yemen also have all male cabinets. I guess in more positive news, the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report for 2023 revealed in June that 11 out of 146 countries have 50% or more ministerial positions held. By women, the top positions led by Albania, Finland, and Spain. But that is a very, uh, a very small glimmer of uh, optimism because eleven out of hundred and forty-six ain't very good. Um, so, yeah, look, I just think lots of lots of work, definitely globally to be done uh, on representation, but it was kind of interesting to take a look, you know, just a, a really kind of clear-cut look at where we're sitting there. And I, I think a lot of other people will find that interesting too just to kind of go and look at the clear data stats around where, you know, parliaments are, are sitting at the moment. Hmm. Um, but it can can be a little bit jarring. What do you reckon, Ange?
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be jarring. I mean, the fact that like one woman leaves and you have an all-male cabinet of, you know 14 ministers shows that like maybe you needed more women there in the first place that was certainly the case with hungary and it's like disappointing to see this stuff going backwards because i am reminded on seeing this as i always am to uh because you know uh canadian uh, pm justin trudeau has been in the news for other reasons this week but um you know i his famous lines of you know because it's 2015 when he announced his Gender balance cabinet. And we actually did at that time, we saw so many countries announcing a gender balance cabinet. And it's sort of, you see it as this trend that would just continue and continue and continue. And you don't expect it to go backwards. And you certainly don't expect a, you know, a European, a EU country to end up with uh, no women in their cabinet. I I just, you know, how does that even happen in 2023 now? Um, It's worth noting, you know, Australia has improved. You mean Australia with the World Economic Forum's report on the gender gap and the global gender gap that... One thing is that Australia's ranking did rise quite significantly there. We, we moved from 43rd to 26th place in that June report and much of that came back to political representation in terms of because, you know, from the 2022 election, obviously, we did get such a significant shift in uh, gender in terms of political representation there where, I mean, Australia's federal government is now 53% Women. We don't have a gender balanced cabinet. I think we're pretty close, but um, in terms of overall representation, yeah, women are certainly not quite dominating, but not in the significant minority. Gender balanced cabinets are important. I mean, it just—it's not just a, a statement. It's not just a nice press conference. It's not just a chance to say, you know, because it's twenty fifteen or because it's twenty twenty three or whatever it is where you get a good photo where it actually looks like there's some women involved in your government, but. The research shows that countries that do have better political representation um, actually uh, do experience less, you know, gender based violence, they experience less conflict, they experience less international war. So whether that's because uh, women are in those cabinets in the first place, I think maybe that has something to do with it, but also the fact that maybe the fact that women could get to that point is the reason why that is the case we we, you know obviously there's there's multiple factors that lead into that but overall like representation matters and certainly in those ministerial positions that do have the most control and the most decision-making policy-making capabilities in those governments that is significant we need far more representation not just gender representation across all levels too oh yes, (laughs) i reckon that gets us to the end of this week's episode So uh, thank you for listening once again. A reminder you can catch up on all the stories that we discussed at Women's Agenda, where you can also subscribe to our lunchtime daily news update and you can receive the stories as they are happening and as they break right in your inbox to keep up with everything that's going on. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you, Tyler.
1: Thanks, Ed.